Well, you might remember from the text of Second Peter as well as from Pastor Hans' message that he shared with you and me last week, that Peter is trying to stir up our minds so that we'll remember something that is very, very important to remember. In fact, verse 2 of chapter 3 tells you and me what it is that Peter says it's so important that we remember. You see, Peter is concerned that you remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. Now that's your Old Testament. And the words spoken as well are the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles, and that's your New Testament. When Peter speaks of the commandment, there in verse 3, when he speaks of the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles, he's referring to your living a life of obedience as described and laid out by Jesus and the apostles in your New Testament, as well as that you remember that the Lord promised He is going to come back and judge both the living and the dead. He is going to destroy this world And he is going to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. Now that's all captured in that word commandment there in verse 3 that Peter says, I'm trying to stir up your minds that you'll never forget that. That it will have a profound impact in how you live your life on a day-by-day basis. Peter's point, eschatology, or the Bible's teaching on God's future plan for this world and all mankind, as well as the devil and his angels, is should have a great impact on your and my living our day-to-day life. One-third of your Bible is eschatology. It talks about God's future plan. And if you don't pay attention to that, you can take about one-third of your Bible and just tear it out. So obviously it becomes very, very important that we know it. What happens when you ignore what God has to say about the future. That's in both the Old and the New Testament. What happens? Well, you're told that by Peter there in chapter 2, and Hans took us through that, didn't he? You see, these false teachers, they wanted to ignore that. In fact, they wanted to out and out reject that. And of course, you know why. Especially this idea that the Lord is going to come back and judge all the ungodly. They definitely wanted to reject that. They knew what the Old Testament prophets had written about the coming of the Lord in the day of the Lord. They knew what Jesus and his apostles also had said about this great truth, but they out and out rejected it. Why? Because they chose to live an immoral and a greedy, godless life indulging the flesh in his corrupt desires, and their lives were characterized by immorality and greed, as you saw there in chapter 2. And does that not characterize our culture today? Certainly it does. People have no use for God or his scriptures or this truth that he says he's going to come back and judge the living and the, both the living and the dead. Their lives were characterized by that. And uh, in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, Peter addresses these foolish false teachers' argument that they put forth for their rejecting the Bible's teaching that the Lord would come back and judge this world. But in 8 through 13 of chapter 3, Peter addresses the doubts that may have crept into the genuine believers' lives because of their the false teachers teaching this, as well as this long delay 
And so he addresses those doubts there in verses 8 through 13. And Pastor Hans really did an excellent job of covering verses 8 and 9 last week when he talked about two reasons for the perceived, notice that, the perceived delay of Christ's second coming. One was God's greatness. God's greatness. With God, all time is equally present, equally powerless, and equally pliant if you'll remember that from last week. And thank you, Brother Hans, for that. Look at verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Now listen, to really get the importance of all that, you need to go back to our webpage and listen to that good message that's there for you to do if you so desire. It would be helpful. But why does God delay His coming and judgment of the world and mankind? Because secondly, His sovereign will. His sovereign will. Look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I'm now going to springboard from Hans's message out of verse 9 into my message that will cover verse 10 and do so first by you and me going to Romans 9, 22 through 24. That will probably be on the wall behind me, but you can also use your Bible as you will. Romans 9, 22 through 24. And this is going to be a springboard out of chapter, uh, verse 9 of 2 Peter 3 to into chapter uh, 3, verse 10. There we read Paul's words. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he also called, not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. You might notice there's two major parts to that section of Scripture. We'll take the last one mentioned first. God endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. He endured. He delayed His coming. Why? He sovereignly chose to save some who would be physically born at a later date. If you're here and you're saved today, that's what we're talking about. He delayed for that very reason. God calls these folks vessels of mercy who are he prepared beforehand for glory. And that's what Pastor Hans preached out of 2 Peter 3, 9 last week. And what about the first part, though, of Romans chapter 9, 22 through 24, Paul writes, God is willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known. Right now, at this very time, present time, God is enduring. He is enduring with much patient vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. But very, very soon now, he is going to demonstrate his wrath and make his power Known, And that's what 1 Peter 3.10 is all about. I've entitled this morning's message, The Day of the Lord is Coming. The Day of the Lord is Coming. As a Christian who has been under the teaching of God's Word, I know that you know two things as a matter of fact. First, you know that your days are numbered, don't you? 
Yep, you've lived long enough. You know that your days are numbered. Last Sunday, Hans took us to Psalm 90 where Moses was out there and, and he viewed life as one great big cemetery. I mean, for 40 years, he watched probably over a million people wander around in that desert and die one after another. And he wrote in Psalm 90 those words. He said that if by your life consists of 70 years or if by reason of strength, 80. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you're in those two categories today. But some of you are, including myself. And then he said this. He said, you finish your life like a sigh. Isn't that something? Just a... And it's over. Your physical life is over. Physical death is just around the corner, and it cannot be avoided. We understand that. But the second great truth that you know from reading and being under the teaching of God's Word is that the Lord is definitely going to come back. Amen? Amen. You will either die... Or if you are truly a Christian, you will be caught up in what we call that rapture, that snatching away that's going to take place in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And instantly you're going to receive a glorified body. And with all the redeemed that make up the body of Christ or the bride, you're going to find yourself in heaven just instantly. And we know the Bible teaches that. Now for Peter, he knew his days were numbered. He would not be a part of that rapture. The Lord had told him that over in John 21. In fact, he tells the readers of this uh, letter in Second Peter that fact. For he says in chapter 1, verse 14, Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So he knew he would not be a part of that rapture or that snatching away that you and I possibly might be a part of. But he knew that would not be the case for him. I found it interesting that two different people, one here in the state of Washington and the other in the state of Oregon, had thought that Billy Graham was kind of like a sign to all of us and he would be a part of the rapture. Guess what? His days were numbered as well. Ninety-nine years worth. And then he breathed a sigh and went into the presence of the Lord. Well... Still, God makes this promise over and over in the Bible to you and me. The day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. Look at verse 10 of 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. What a profound scripture. In your outline, we're going to begin with the meaning of the biblical term, the day of the Lord. The biblical term, what does it mean, the day of the Lord? It's a term often used by the Old Testament prophets. You're probably aware of that. And I'm going to move quickly through this. You will not put the verses behind me of these particular verses. But just listen to these prophets, major, minor prophets. Isaiah 13, 6, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. By the way, you'll find out in the Old Testament, you use often of a historical thing that's yet to happen back in the Old Testament, as well as a far future thing which Peter picks up here. Ezekiel 30, verses 1 through 30, The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, Wail, alas for the day, for the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Joel, 
Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? And then he concludes this, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. We go on to Amos, that minor prophet Amos Chapter 5, alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord. They thought, well, hey, this is our escape. This is good. Let him come. For what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you, Amos writes? It will be darkness and not light, as when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him. Or goes home, leans his hand against the wall, and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? Zechariah 14th, the 14th chapter describes the day of the Lord in detail. We'll not read all of them, but here's a little bit of the flavor. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. Then the Lord, my God, will come and all the holy ones with him. In that day there will be no lights and the luminaries will dwindle. In fact, your Old Testament ends with an emphasis on the day of the Lord in the book of Malachi. Here's what he writes in that fourth chapter. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. Amazing. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord God of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. You really can't miss it. It's in all through your Old Testament, isn't it? Well, secondly, it's a term that focuses on divine judgment. We can't miss that. A term that focuses on divine judgment. It's often described as a day of God's wrath and burning anger in both the Old and the New Testaments. I'm going to give an example both out of the Old as well as out of the New. I'm going to look at Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13 And uh, verses 6 through 13. Isaiah 13, verses 6 through 13. Isaiah the prophet says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore all hands will fall limp, and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil." and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. Profound, descriptive, isn't it? And then we go into the New Testament. John writes about this when he talks about the tribulation period. And listen to what he has to say there in chapter 6, verses 12 to the end of that chapter. It'll be similar to what I just read in Isaiah 13. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. 
And the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth, as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. What an amazing time of judgment. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. I mean, the whole world, its attention is captured by what's going on here. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Profound. So this is a term that focuses on divine judgment. You can hardly miss that. But thirdly, it's a term describing two major time periods. Now I'm not going back to the historical time in the Old Testament, for example, when the day of the Lord was a reference to Babylon coming in and destroying Israel. I'm coming to Peter's day and our day today. It's a term that describes two major time periods. The day of the Lord, when referring to end time events, specifically describes the seven-year tribulation period that will follow the rapture of the redeemed church of Christ. When the Lord snatches us out of here, if that should happen now, then that seven-year tribulation period is going to begin, and that time is being described as the day of the Lord. It also, after that, there, in fact, the last three and a half years is especially described as the day of the Lord, called the day of the Lord. At the end of those seven years of tribulation, you might know that the Lord who comes back to this earth and judges mankind, and then he enters into his reign for a thousand years here upon the earth. But at the end of those thousand years, we're back to a description of the day of the Lord. When God displays his wrath and burning anger upon sinful mankind. Look with me at Revelation chapter 20. And this takes you to the end of the Lord's thousand year reign here upon the earth. So you've gone through seven years of tribulation. You've gone through the thousand year reign of Christ. And now this this is the next event here. Notice what it says in verse 7 of Revelation 20. When the thousand years are completed... Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sands of the seashore. This is amazing. Lord rainy here, perfect environment, righteousness covers the earth like the waters. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth. They were going to rebel anyway and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city and Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. This again is the day of the Lord. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, that's the Antichrist, the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then John says, I saw, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the small, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death 
And Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. We're now talking about all the unsaved people born since Adam. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. You talk about the wrath of God. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So there's two major time periods here that are being depicted by Peter. The one has to do with the seven-year tribulation period. Then you have that span of a thousand years of the Lord reigning. And then you have this judgment of the wrath of God poured out upon those that rebel against the Lord, go up against Jerusalem. And then, of course, his judgment on the whole world of unsaved people, casting them into the lake of fire. If you have a MacArthur study Bible, he did a great job, or whoever put that together for him, did a great job in defining this time period. Let me read that for you because it's worth noting. In your study Bible, if you have it, it says, The day of the Lord is a technical term pointing to the special interdiction of God in human history for judgment. It ultimately refers to the future time of judgment, whereby God judges the wicked on earth and ends the world system in its present form. The Old Testament prophets saw the final day of the Lord as unequal darkness and damnation, a day when the Lord would act in a climactic way to vindicate His name, destroy his enemies, reveal his glory, establish his kingdom, and destroy the world. It occurs at the time of the tribulation on the earth, and again, 1,000 years later, at the end of the millennial kingdom, before the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. And that's what Peter primarily is picking up on in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, if you go back there again. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So that's the time period that we're talking about at this point. Well, that brings us to the next thing I want to talk about briefly, and that is the coming of the day of the Lord. We know it's going to come, but the coming of the day of Lord. First, I want us to briefly look at God's repeated prophecies that it will come. God's repeated prophecies that this day is definitely going to come. We've already seen that the day of the Lord is a major theme in the writings of the major minor prophets of your Old Testament there. But lest one fall into a trap of thinking the day of the Lord is something that we spiritualize away. And some think that. Or that it's already fulfilled historically and has no future uh, fulfillment yet to come to pass. We have God's repeated prophecies that it will indeed come to pass. In Psalm 75... By the way, I'm just picking up some little excerpts here. Psalm 75, verses 2 and 3 and 8 said, When I select, this is God speaking, When I select an appointed time, it is I who judge with equity. The earth and all who dwell in it melt. It is I who have firmly set its pillars, for a cup is in the hand of the Lord and the wine foams. It is well mixed, and he pours out of this, surely all the wicked, listen, surely all the wicked of the earth must drain and drink down its dregs. That's what God says. I go into the New Testament, Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. Paul there on Mars Hill in Athens, he says this to those folk, therefore, Having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. 
That's the same message today that it was back there 2,000 years ago. That all peoples everywhere should repent. Why? Because He has fixed the day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. Look with me at Second Thessalonians chapter 6. I'm sorry, you know there's not six chapters in Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Before I read this, this always intrigues me. If you go through the book of Acts, you know that Paul and his team left Philippi, goes to Thessalonica. They were there for a, just a little bit over two weeks. It just astounds me what Paul taught those people that he got saved in that two-week period. You know what? He taught them about the day of the Lord. Must be important, huh? Brand new converts, he talks about the, teaches them about the day of the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, he writes to these Thessalonian believers, and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That's the unsaved world. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who believed, for our testimony to you was believed. Profound. Profound. God's repeated prophecies that this day will come. And that brings us to the next movement there, the coming of the day of the Lord, God declares it's going to come like a thief. It will come like a thief. Second Peter 3.10, Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. When Paul wrote again to the Thessalonian believers in First Thessalonians chapter 5, listen to what he said in verses 1 and 2. Now as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anyone to be, to, uh, anything to be written to you. <laughs> he said, you don't need anybody to write. You already know about this stuff. I taught you this stuff. For you yourselves know full well, you know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He taught them that. Jesus in Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44, Therefore be on the alert, be on the alert, for you do not know at which day the Lord is coming. You don't know that, but be sure of this, he writes or says, that if the head of the house had known at what time the thief was coming... He would have been on alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must also be ready. Are you? Am I? You must also be ready, he, Jesus says. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. And Peter was there and heard those words out of the mouth of the Lord. No wonder he writes this in verse 10 of chapter 3. By the way, how does a thief come? He comes unannounced, doesn't he? He comes unannounced. He comes when you least expect Him to come. His coming is a surprised arrival that takes you completely unawares because it's designed to do that and unprepared. And His coming is for the purpose of causing you destruction. And for the unsaved person, that's exactly what the Lord's coming will do. My. Jesus describes His coming with this biblical illustration that you know so well. The coming of the Son of Man is just like the days of Noah. Wow. Just like the days of Noah. 
For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand. That's your world of unsaved people. And by the way, a lot of the church as well. They did not understand. Though this man preached for 120 years and out there building an ark, they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. you got a world that's completely unprepared. They don't believe this. They probably don't even, haven't even heard it for the most part. That description sounds exactly like our world today. And that brings me to the next part of your outline, the catastrophic effects. The catastrophic effects in the day of the Lord. We look at first God's outpoured wrath upon the heavens. God's outpoured wrath upon the heavens. Second Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. It's interesting. I understand in Hebrew there is no word for the universe. And so heavens is the word they use there. I want to read with you Isaiah 34 verses 1 through 4. God has the prophet Isaiah write these words or Share them as well. Draw near, O nations, to hear and listen, O peoples. Let the earth and all it contains hear, and the world and all that springs from it. That sounds like everything, doesn't it? For the Lord's indignation is against all the nations and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. That's a prophetic future, uh, by the way, of what's going to happen at Armageddon. He has given them over to the slaughter, so their slain will be thrown out, and their corpses will give off their stench, and the mountains will be drenched with their blood, and all the hosts of heaven will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll, and all the hosts will be will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine, or as one withers from the fig tree. Very graphic words about the catastrophic heaven uh, effect of the heavens. Matthew twenty four thirty five, and this is elsewhere, and you know it quite well. Jesus often said, heaven and earth will what? Pass away. Did you get that? Heaven and earth will pass away, but not my word, which endures forever. Isn't that great? In Revelation 20, verse 11, give some thought to these words. We've read them already. It's in the, at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, and this big mass of people uh, come out of that thousand-year reign of Christ, and they go up to overthrow Christ, and fire comes down to destroy them. And Satan is taken and cast into the lake of fire. And then these words are written by the Apostle John. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, upon it, listen now, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. What do you say? Heaven and earth will pass away, but not my words. After the great white throne judgment has taken place and all the unsaved have been judged and cast into the lake of fire, we next read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. That's Revelation 21.1. Peter says the heavens will pass away with a roar. It's an interesting Greek word, hroidzidon. It's an onomatopoeia. You say, what's that? It sounds exactly like what takes place. Hroidzion. The word sounds like the noise of the action that takes place. It means like a whizzing, a whistling, like a crackling sound of objects being consumed by fire. It's the sound of the roar of a blazing fire. Peter further tells us that when the heavens pass away with the roar, the elements, 
The elements will be destroyed with intense heat. Some believe he's talking about the suns, the stars, the galaxies, the planets, and all matter out in space. In other words, the entire universe. Some think that's what he's talking about. Isaiah 34, we read it before, but let me read it again. All the hosts of heaven will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. It's like, you know, there's two parts of a scroll, rolled up, and you pull like this, it's like a blind. Bam! I woke you up, didn't I? I mean, you pull apart, and then suddenly it just scrolls it, and you let go. He said, that's the way it disappears. That's the way it's destroyed. You might notice that Peter places a strong emphasis on this catastrophic event happening. He states it three times in this brief chapter. Look at verse 7. But by his word, the present heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works burned up. Drop down to verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. It must be pretty important that he mentions it three different times. He really drives it home and says, listen, I don't want you to forget this. This needs to have an impact on your life. Now listen, understand, some very good Bible scholars, they believe that this is talking about a recreation of the earth. In other words, God's going to just renovate the whole thing, and that might be the case. Others believe it's going to be the whole universe is going out of existence, and then God's going to recreate a new heaven and new earth. I'll tell you what, I'll resolve that for you when it happens. You know, it doesn't really matter. I think the best is to leave it with God. Understand that He wants this to make an impact on how you think and how you live your life. Number two, God's outpoured wrath upon the earth. Saw it on the heavens. Now God's outpoured wrath upon the earth. Listen, we don't have the time, but you go to Revelation chapters 6 through 18, and he reads about those seven years of tribulation when God is pouring his wrath out upon the earth and those horrific judgments that are worldwide. So we have it there, for example. And then we've already seen God's destruction on the earth when we looked at the end of the book of Revelation, there after the millennial reign when fire comes down out of heaven, destroys them, and then he takes the heavens and the earth out of existence, if you please. And I think that's what Peter's focusing on primarily here in verse 10 of our text. The Bible begins with God creating this earth, and it now ends with him completely destroying it. Man won't be doing it. It's God who will do it, right? When the heavens go in the roar of a fiery intense heat, the earth also goes. But it's intriguing to me that Peter wants to add something to that. Number three, God's outpoured wrath upon the earth's works. (laughs) We are so tied down to the things of the earth. And Peter just zeroes in on that in verse 10. He says that the heavens will be destroyed, pass away with the roar and the elements will be destroyed in intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. And its works, my. The apostle John told us this present world system is right now passing away. I mean, think about it. Everything you're familiar with, these buildings... I mean, the, 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 the cities and all, the, all the, the structures in them and all the vehicles. And you can take gold coins and silver coins and, and all the coins. I mean, you take your cars and your, absolutely everything in detail. It is gone. That's what he's saying. Completely gone in a flash in an instant of time. Wow. Gone out of existence. 
burned up into nothing. All that this master deceiver Satan has imprinted on this planet will be utterly destroyed forever as well. And like Mary is reminding me this morning, she said, you know, the thing is, even out there in space, the effects of sin are seen. And so I suppose it has to include that as well. Well, what's the impact then of this coming day upon you and me? You're obviously aware that uh, from verse 11 on, Paul, I'm sorry, Peter wants to apply. And I'm just going to do it very quickly because I've got to leave something for Hans to preach when he comes back. <laughs> but the application really is verses 11 through 18. But the impact of this coming day upon you and me. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. First, it is to affect how we presently live. You would understand that. Oh God, may this affect how Bill lives his everyday life. My thinking process, my motives, my goals, my words, may it affect my everyday life. It affects how we presently live. In fact, verse 11 says that since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people have you, has that gripped you? What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct in Goliath? You know the world system, before you got saved, you live for the world, you live for self. You, this was it. This is all you knew. But now you've gone way beyond that because you know the future and how God has prepared for you. So it talks about both your character and your conduct here. It affects how we presently live. I think of 1 John 3 often where he wrote, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone, everyone who has this hope fixed on himself, what does he do? Purifies themselves just as he is pure. It affects character as well as conduct. Number two it is to be what we are looking for. Huh. It is to be what we are looking for. I'll tell you one thing, without question in my mind, Ron and Pam are looking for this. Would that it would happen today. Pastor John Hill and his wife Susan are looking for this. Would that it would happen today. But even if you're in good health and you're even young, this is what you're to be looking for, knowing these things. Second Peter 3.12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intensity. Let me just make a clarification of what I think is going on. What's the idea behind Peter's words looking for? What's the idea behind that? Looking for. I think he's talking about what's the desire of your heart. Talking about what's the desire of your heart. Is your desire, your contentment, comfort, merely to remain here in good health, doing the best to pursue your own dreams and desires and squeeze out a comfortable, pleasurable life? Or is it to know the Lord and Savior more intimately, richer, deeper? Is it to long for Him to come and be in His presence and be free from this sinful world and this sinful body? Is it to live for Him and serve Him now? Boy, that was the desire of the apostles' hearts. Of course, I know they had been with Him. But man, they long to be with him. It's who we are to be, what we're to be looking for. Number three is cause us to be diligent, to be found in him. You know what? That's one area I think there's a huge movement, a drifting going on in the church today. A lack of this. 
It is to cause us to be diligent. There's that word again. Diligent to be found in Him. First Peter 3, 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent. Give some effort. Give some energy. Be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless. Remember how Peter began this letter? Second Peter 1, verses 10, 11. Therefore, brethren. Who's he talking to? Believers. Therefore, brethren. Be all the more diligent to make certain, to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. The day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. Peter's trying to drive this great truth home to our hearts, to his readers, his flock. And God made this a part of inspiration so that we've driven home to your and my heart as well. How does this great truth impact you? It's profound, but how does it impact you, your life, your goals, your pursuits, your choices, your behavior, how you choose to live your life? Does it cause you to be diligent to be found in him? Or will you be like those people before that flood? Just carrying on. Hey, it's not going to happen for a while. I got my life to live out. And then suddenly like a trap, it's sprung on them. And then it's too late. It's too late. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. What a profound portion of scripture. What a profound ending for the beginning of a glorious introduction to the new heavens and the new earth. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll take your words and just speak to each one of our hearts. For some, they just need comfort, and this is a comforting thing to know that you're going to come. To know that there's a future that is bright as the promises of God. There's a hope that we rest in no matter what we're going through. But there's also a concern, Lord, that we may just be drifting along. Oh, I'm glad I'm saved, but really I'm wanting to live my life. I'm not interested in growing in Christ-likeness. I'm not interested in, in putting Him first. That might cost me. That might take me where I don't want to go. Oh, Father, then help us to see that one day it will all be instantly burned up and gone forever. And then comes the new heavens and the new earth. Please help us to remember what Peter was trying to drive home here. That this commandment is to live our lives according to what's laid out before us in that New Testament by you and by these apostles you chose. And to live in light of the promise, you are coming back. You will judge the living and the dead. You will ultimately create the new heavens and the new earth when you utterly, completely destroy this planet and maybe the universe. And Lord, we want to live in light of your return and look forward to the glory of that new heaven and new earth, that new Jerusalem, home with you, finally home, experiencing the fullness of the salvation you provided for us. Even this communion service is an example of that. So let it speak to our hearts as we take these elements now. In your name, in Jesus we pray. Amen.